ready to grow your business by building relationships online and offline? Are you looking for a system to attract new prospects and nurture your past clients? Maybe you're a business owner, a sales professional, or an entrepreneur. If you are, then great. Join me, Janice Porter, as we blast past your barriers to success and explore the power of relationships for your business. And welcome to the Relationships Rule Podcast. Welcome to the Relationships Rule Podcast. My name is Janice Porter. I am your host, and my special guest this week is Meredith Elliott Powell. Meredith is, see, I'm nervous already. Um, (laughs) Meredith um, has been voted one of the top 15 business growth experts to watch by Currency Fair. She is an award-winning author, keynote speaker, oops, I just lost my notes here, keynote speaker and business strategist. And um, has just written a new book, I know it's not her first book, a new book called Thrive, Turning Uncertainty to Competitive Advantage. And I am very excited to hear all about that. Welcome to the show, Meredith. Thank you. I am looking forward to being here and looking forward to talk about one of my favorite subjects. Awesome. Because, you know, what I found uh, really fascinating about um, your topic and your um, your title about thrive turning uncertainty to the comp- to your competitive advantage um, is that I and I'm going to ask you this to, because I wonder about you personally as well before this, but um, this uh, pandemic threw everybody for a loop, and mm-hmm. I think I got this quote somewhere from you, but success redefined uncertainty is change on steroids. I know you've said that. And it can go either way, positive or negative. And so I want to ask you to to talk to that. But also, were you always positive? Did you always see things that way? So that's sort of the deeper part of the question for me. That's a great deeper, um, deeper part of the question. Let me let me actually start there. I definitely think that I was um, that I was born a child who sees the glass um, half full. But um, I feel very blessed to, um, which sounds a little strange, to have had a lot of adversity in um, in my life. I come from quite an alcoholic family. Um, All the male members in my family, my father, both my brothers, and my first husband all died of alcoholism. And the strange thing about, I think anybody can tell you, and most of us have had a lot of adversity in our lives. When you're faced with a lot of adversity, you have to find the slivers of hope. You have to start to see the opportunity or the adversity will flatten you. Right. So I think that I was born with a natural inclination I was given a lot of adversity early in life, and those two combined made me start to see the opportunity. But then add to that, given what we do for a living, right? I mean, our job is to to create um, strategies and information and keynotes and workshops and trainings that really help people in times when they feel challenged. And because of that, we start to notice trends or we start to notice things. And it was actually before the pandemic a couple of years ago that I started to become obsessed with the word uncertainty because everybody that I was talking to in a really red hot economy in 2018, 2019, when things were so good, everybody I talked to and said, how is business to a T 
would say, it is good, it is great, we are having our best year on record, but oh, this uncertainty. And I thought, why do we always have to see uncertainty as a negative? And what would happen if we flipped the script on that and started to think about it as a positive? So that's kind of where it came from. Wow, wow. Um, so just to go back to the, the background, because yeah. that does fascinate me in the sense that when you, you know, the, your family members and then your first husband, were you in, in a mode ever of um, trying to save them? Oh my gosh. Um, I have a book um, entitled that you, ne you never find on my business um, website, but I wrote a book called um, uh, The Real Dope on Dealing with an Addict, How Addiction Saved My Life. And what that book is about is the fact that I believe that enablement, that enabling is an addiction. And uh, all the female members of my family, my mother, my sister, um, and I all suffer from enabling, from suffer from that um the, the saving part. And absolutely, the reason that I married an alcoholic was because um, pretty much my father died and in walked my first husband. I was just looking for somebody that I could save now that my father was gone. So yeah, enabling became my vice. And until I realized it was as big an addiction as, um, as, uh, as alcoholism or drug addiction was, I couldn't really begin to turn things around. Wow. And, and I, I thank you for sharing that only yeah. because I was curious that, you know, how, and I know that's why they probably have alcohol. Uh, what is Al-Anon? Al-Anon, yes. Al-Anon. So um, to help those who, who are enabling um, the alcoholics in their life. But um, what it made me wonder is how you could be so positive around all of that. And when you're, you know, enabling the, the, uh, the behavior that you didn't or however you see it the uh, disease or the behavior um without you know being uh sucked in by it so much yeah you know, you know I, I really credit two things with that boy you're asking really um i'm sorry really, i don't know i love i love to answer these questions people rarely ask me about it but first of all my mother was an incredibly strong woman i mean she was the queen of enablers uh, but on top of that, she was always bucket up little soldier and let's move forward. Don't cry in your own tears. So I credit part of it to her. <laughs> the other is the greatest irony of my life is that I had spent a good 15 years trying to save my first husband from addiction. And he actually ended up saving me. We were in a big song and dance where every day I would go to work so we could pay the bills and he would stay home and he would drink. And when I got home, I would be surprised that he was drunk we would get into a fight and we would go our separate ways you know why i came home every day expecting an addict to be anything but drunk i don't know but we did this for years and one day i came home from work having worked hard i walk in the door i find another empty bottle of vodka and i'm just i start screaming at him but for once he did not scream back at me he let me go until i was exhausted and then he looked me in the eye and he said, you know, I was going on and on about how could he do this to me? I worked so hard to take care of him. Couldn't he just, you know, do something for our family, da, 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 da. And he looked at me and he said, who asked you? And it was like a light bulb went off in my head. And I thought, who did ask me? Yeah. And even if he did ask me, it was my choice. Yes. And so I believe that optimism comes when I took responsibility for where my life was. 
it was not my husband's fault that my life was a mess. It was not my father's fault. It was not my mother's fault. It was not all the addicts. I mean, if I'd have gotten rid of my husband until I did the work on myself, I would have just gone out and found another addict. You know, so it was the optimism comes from, I think one of the most important things we can learn is when you take responsibility for where you are, good and bad, you have just given yourself the ultimate ticket to freedom. Because once I realized the problems were mine, I had tough choices to make. Mm -hmm. But once I realized the problems were mine, then the door opened. I could control me. I could, I could make me do anything I wanted to do. It was, I was wasting so much energy trying to control people I had no control over. And once that energy came back into me, it was Katie bar the door and my life took off. That is such a powerful lesson. Yes. And I don't know if you have children, but I'm always trying to change or make (laughs) them, you know, see things that I can't, you know, get them to see. And uh, some of it is just maturity, you know, and they have to see it themselves before the change happens. That's, that's so true. And I can't, I can't control that. So I know that's a big side issue there. But okay, so let's bring it to um, Thrive, because you did a lot of research and study and we're, we're working with companies, I think that kind of the same message was coming forward. Yeah. And uh and people weren't seeing the uncertainty as an advantage or in a positive way. Now, did this, um, did this, again, on steroids, did this get bigger when the pandemic hit or would, okay. So I do remember watching a podcast that you did about that and how, oh my goodness, you know, like, look at people, this is an opportunity. So talk to me about that. Yeah, so there I am studying uncertainty and everything you need to do to make um, an un- uncertainty start to work for you. So kind of what happened was after I started to think about flipping the script on uncertainty and what would happen if you started to think about it as a positive, I started to look for maybe companies and leaders that had done that, um, kind of to the research you were alluding to, alluding to. And I uncovered nine companies that have been around since the late 1700s, early 1900s, wow. and they're still in business thriving today. And at the time I'm thinking, wow, you know, they've come through world wars, they've come through economic depression. Well, then the pandemic hit. And I was like, lo and behold, they've come through a pandemic. Um, Now they've come through two pandemics. And from that um, research, I developed a nine step formula. There's nine strategies you need to be doing, doing consistently in your business if you wanna thrive in in an uncertain marketplace. But it is, um, you know, Again, whether you're talking about adversity in your personal life, just like I, you know, shared my background of alcoholism, any single one of your listeners, you know, any adversity you've ever faced, once you come through it, you usually look back on it with some type of favor in the sense of, you know, I wouldn't be where I am today without it. And I wanted to help people. What I found was when the pandemic hit, I started to ask people casually, do polls with my clients. Are you somebody who runs to the sound of the gunfire and takes action during uncertainty? Or are you somebody who takes more of a wait and see approach? And what I found was most people wanted to run to the sound of the gunfire and take action, but they were stuck because they didn't know what to do. 
And that's why I wrote the formula. I didn't want anybody to be stuck anymore. I wanted to take the thinking out of it and say, if you want to run to the sound of the gunfire, mm -hmm. I'm not only going to tell you what to do, I'm going to aim you in the right direction, in the right order, and give you a strategy that says, this is how you're going to wind up successful, because this truly can be your greatest opportunity. So um, in your um, nine-part strategy for... Uh, thriving in uncertainty. Um, I have to ask this because uh, my my podcast and my beingness is all about relationships and people. Yeah. And you know, how many of those speak to the people? And, oh gosh, you know, like, well, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think that there's a single strategy that you can take the people out of it. But the ones that speak um, directly to it probably probably six of the nine directly involve some form of relationship or engagement level of either your customers or your teams. So one of the things I remember, and I, I saw this in my, in my studying and, you know, looking at some of the things you did, but I remember you talking about it. I think it was on a LinkedIn live um, with Mark Hunter. Yeah. And, and you were taught, I think, I'm not sure, but it was talking about, um, you were talking about in this time of uncertainty and, and the pandemic and everything that was going on. Um, why don't you reach out to your clients? Why don't you, right? Can you speak to that? Because yeah, it's, it's actually, it's actually one of my favorite um, uh, steps. It's step number five in the strategy. And it is, um, if it's actually that in an uncertain environment, you are, if you do the first four steps, you are well positioned to grow. In fact, there's so much growth opportunity. Um, it's a myth that people don't spend money. It's a myth that they don't want to buy and work with people, but you have to be relevant. And relevancy happens by reaching out and talking to your existing customers. What you sold before a crisis and what you sell in a crisis has to be different. It may still be the same product or service, but the problem you're solving is different. So I always tell people like what you want to do is reach out and talk to your existing customers. Growth happens from the inside out. Number one is your customers need to hear from you. They were good to you before this crisis. You need to reach out and say, I'm here. I care. I'm interested. Now they're going to be loyal to you just because you did that, but they're going to give you a bigger gift than loyalty. When you ask questions, listen, they are going to tell you exactly the challenges they're facing now, the problems they're facing now, and what they need right now. And they're going to tell you in it, they're going to tell it to you in a language that you need to use because that is going to be your gift to come out of the pandemic, to come out of the crisis, because you need to be solving the problems that your customers are having now, not the problems they had before the crisis hit. Don't try to sit in a room with three of your buddies and try to figure out what those problems are. Go out and talk to them. And when you understand how to solve your current customers' problems, you're going to use that language to attract um, prospects and new and new business. Can I just tell you a quick story about right. that? Okay. It's my favorite story from the book. And it's the story of Procter and Gamble, one of the companies that I researched. Um, Procter and Gamble was started in the, um, in the early 1800s by two men who married sisters. One sold uh, soap and one sold candles. Procter and they could, yeah, yeah. Procter, Procter and Gamble. 
Yeah. Procter, exactly, Procter and Gamble. And um, they competed for animal um, fat. And their future father-in-law said, boys, why don't you quit competing and why don't you start a company? And Procter and Gamble was born. Now they believed in this strategy about talking to customers. And right from the start, they vowed they would not develop products without talking to their customers first. The first branded product they did under Procter and Gamble was soap. You talk about a commodity. I don't care what any of us sell. There can't be anything harder to differentiate yourself with than soap. But true to form, they went out and talked to customers first before they put soap on the marketplace. And here's what they found out. People loved soap. People wanted to buy soap. But the problem with soap was that when you lathered it up, it would slip out of your hands, fall to the bottom of the bathtub, and you couldn't find it. People wanted a soap that float, the soap that floated. And Procter and Gamble took soap, injected air into it, and branded their first product, Ivory Soap, which any of us remember the kids, it's probably still tagged this as a soap that floats. And what I want you to understand is while their competitors were selling soaps that smelled good, were selling soaps that were shaped a certain way, they were selling soaps that promised things that customers didn't care about. Procter & Gamble used the exact language of their customers. And by the end of the 1800s, they were a million dollar company. That's a great story. Yeah, that's a great story. And, still- and, and, it's, and it's something any of us can do. Just talk to your customers, listen, and use that language. Wow, that's, that's a really good story. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. Um, that also makes me think of, uh, again, something I saw when I was researching you to treat a sales call as a privilege. Yeah. And, uh, and to, to do your homework before you talk to that person, don't waste their time, right? Don't waste your time either, but um, have, have an agenda that makes sense. I guess you speak to that because you, you're the- yeah, I am a passionate believer that a sales call is a privilege. You know, I've been in sales for a long time and um, we used to, we termed something early on called a howdy duty call. And unfortunately it's a sales call that a lot of people make where I might just call on you, Janice and come by and say, how are you doing? How are things? You say, great. And I call that a sales call. It's not a sales call. We have to understand that when we make a sales call on somebody, they are giving us something that is incredibly precious to them. And that is their time. If you are calling on business owners, when they are doing a sales call with you, they are not making money. They are taking time away from their own customers to talk to you. Make it worth their time. So you need to do your homework. This is a whole new day and age when it comes to homework. If you can find it on the internet, you better have done it ahead of time and be asking um, be asking those questions. I mean, you've done a beautiful job with that right here. I mean, look at how much you already know about me. So you're asking really deep questions to make that this interview that much more rich. You don't have to bother with Meredith, tell us a little bit about yourself or what do you think about sales? You're already into into the intricacies of my business. It's the same thing with a sales call. Understand that you need to get in there and you need to already be asking questions that are going to the heart of the problems and the challenges your client's facing so that you can be providing solutions that are beneficial to them. 
Talk about differentiating yourself in the marketplace. On top of it, it's your time as well. So if you can get in there and have done your homework ahead of time, you're that much further down the line with the sales call and getting to the ultimate close and generating revenue. Hmm. Well, thank you for the compliment and thank yeah. you for that great answer because, you know, I try not to do too much actually mm -hmm. in the way of homework with my guests because I, I feel as though it, it has to come from my heart. It has to come from my curiosity. And that's one of my favorite words is being curious and being curious finds me in places sometimes that are more interesting than, you know, just the, the surface level things, which I, I've just experienced with you. And I feel very excited about because um, you can only um, bring out in people what they'll allow, but you know, it's the, I guess it's the risk of asking the questions and being curious. Um, yes. Right. So um, yeah, so that's really cool. Um, who now in your world right now, I, I'm assuming that your focus is um, your book and selling yeah. your book and, and talking or speaking around um, your uh, uh, turning uncertainty to competitive advantage to your, your strategies. Who's your target audience now? Who do you go after or do they just come to you? Yeah, well, no, no, no. I definitely have a very, very defined um, target audience. I actually work with two. I work with C-suite professionals and uh, leaders when I'm working on succession planning and business growth strategies. I'm a business strategist uh, by training. But when I aim the book Thrive and that group that I really speak and I consult with, I'm really uh, working with uh, business owners, a lot of times franchise owners. Mm -hmm. Those people that I define as they are running running the business, doing the business and making the sales. So they've got to kind of carry all the balls in the air. They've got to keep the business open and running, provide the expertise. They're managing the team and they've got to generate the revenue. And I really focus on helping that group of individual not only um, really learn to manage all the things they've got to manage, but, but really put themselves at competitive advantage to grow their businesses, excel at sales, at sales and really take themselves and their teams to the next level. So I can tell when you're talking about it, how it excites you. Too. Yes, it does. Yeah. It, yeah. It, 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 yeah. It, well, because I feel like that group, can, it can, you can so easily get overwhelmed. And a lot of times you can feel um, like you just can't compete with the big boys. And with this economy turned in 2008, and that's really when um, the first turn happened, this, this pandemic has been the second, um, there's more advantage out there for, um, for smaller businesses with great reputations who run well, who, who run with a, with a, with a strategy um, and a plan, but most aren't privy to the education to do it. And that's really my, um, that's really my passion is to help them learn how to do it, do it well and excel. I think everybody wins. I mean, when a smaller, when a smaller company they're just heart-centered companies. They're truly about their clients. Clients win, employees are treated well, and people are following their passions. And I feel like the small business is really the heart, especially of America. And, um, and I really want to help, help people like that not only see the opportunity, but take advantage of the opportunity. And so, so is there a company that you can think of right now that um, epitomizes um, like the example you gave of, 
of Procter and Gamble back then. Is there is there one now today that's doing that really well? Yeah, you know, I highlight uh, I highlight a lot in the um, in the book. But you know, just speaking of the um, of the Procter and Gamble um, example, in every chapter I highlight one of these companies that I studied. But I also did a modern example, and the modern example that goes with um, Procter and Gamble is um, in that strategy is called Western Waterworks. They're a small um, company out in uh, in Southern California, and they provide water services to um, to businesses out there. And they were just getting killed by the big guy. I mean, just creamed by it because everybody else has merged and acquired and all their competition was huge. And they were really left with nowhere to turn. They were getting hammered on price like crazy. And um, they decided to do exactly what we talked to. And they went out and talked to customers and said, what do you need and what do you want? And the biggest problems were that the bids that they got from the big companies were never right. And whenever they went to pay the bill, the bill was always more than they expected it to be. And what customers want wasn't even a better price. They just wanted a bid to be accurate and a job to be finished on time. And when the bill came, the bill would match the bid. And so Western Waterworks came up with um, their, their customer guarantee. And the customer guarantee was that our bid and our price would match and that uh, we would finish the job on time or earlier. And if we didn't do any of that, they would get like a $2,000 rebate or something. What completely transformed their competitive, their competitive advantage. Again, I want to emphasize, they just started to thrive and grow because they found that sliver of opportunity in the competition, used the language of the customer to give the customer exactly what the customer was asking for. And they turned a really um, you know, big obstacle into a major opportunity. So when you go to work with a company, can you see it before they do? You know, I, the, a couple of things that I do see before they do. I never see their, I never see their advantage in the marketplace until we talk to the customer. Even if I do see it, I wouldn't say it because I never want to assume. There is yeah. nothing more powerful than talking to the customer. But the moment that they start talking to the customers and they bring some of those interviews back, I start to get excited. Because I do immediately see the thread. Just from listening to people, I start to see the opportunities. And sometimes I have to help my customers dial in on that. Yes. Um, but it's always there. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like throwing a bunch of paint against a wall and all of a sudden the vision just starts to appear. You, you, always, um, you always see it. Well, you have, and the fact that you know that's going to happen, yeah. you've proven it time and time again. And with your research, I think that would be really exciting to know, to, to get to that point with your clients and be able to go, wow, this is it. They're going to see this now. Yes. And, you know, I saw it five minutes ago or a month ago, but they're going to see it now. And then the, then it starts to shift. Yes. <clears throat> Love it. Uh, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, um, one piece in that sales call is a privilege piece that I want to just touch on it a little bit more is that you control the close. Yes. Talk to me about that because well, I the, learned that and I, and it's been a big help to me. Yes. Okay. Is that, um, is that the, the, um, 
the last thing you want to do is you need to remember at the end of every single sales call, um, nobody cares more about that sales call moving forward than you do. Even if you are offering something that is going to save money for your client or make them money. But here's traditionally what happens. If I'm having a sales call with you and you and I have had this great sales call and you're definitely interested, you want to buy my product or service. Um, as soon as you hang up with me, your biggest client has a huge opportunity for you. Your best employee um, just fell and broke their leg and is going to be out for the next two weeks. And your, um, your kid won an award. And now you're going to have to, you between you and your spouse or partner, you're going to have to figure out who's going to take two weeks off to take them to this event. In other words, their lives got busy. Right. And so if you wait on your customer to follow up with you, it is never going to happen. Never is probably a strong word. So no matter what people say to me, even if you said, um, give me some time to work over this, um, you know, this information, I'll get back to you next week. I just had this happen yesterday. A guy told me to send him a couple of videos and he said, let me talk to my partner and I'll call you at the first of the week. And I said, Frank, don't bother. I said, you've got enough on your plate. Please don't bother about following up with me. I'm going to mark my calendar. I'll circle up with you. Now it sounded like I was taking something off his plate, but the truth is I'm paranoid. Frank will never call me. This is like dating. I'm going to make sure that I have a date on Friday night and I'm going to follow up with it. And you're in control. Yeah, yeah. I'm in control. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And now when that happens, because you didn't put it on the calendar, like that you're going to call Frank at two o'clock on Thursday. Um, do you have some process that happens before yeah, I have everything goes into my customer relationship management system. I mean, the moment I get off the phone with Frank, I'm marking into my customer relationship management system that I need to call Frank on Monday at 9 a.m. It'll pop straight through to my calendar. I have made that mistake of thinking, I don't need a CRM and not entered that information. And I've missed so much opportunity. But the fact that you're, you're saying, okay, I'm going to call him at nine o'clock on Monday doesn't mean he's going to answer or no. that that's the right time, but that just starts the process again. Okay. Yep, exactly. Okay, great. I know for me, it's like I teach my clients, um, don't end a meeting without booking the next meeting. That's right. And so it's definitely better than it was before that. And it, and it stops that uh, lack of control. That's right. Yeah. So this has been a delight. And I know I could Thank talk you. to you forever and learn so much more. Um, and I, I value your time. And I've realized that you know, we're coming to a close. And so I just have two questions to ask you. Um, one is that um, comes to my favorite word, which I think I mentioned, and that's curiosity. So I'm, I use my curiosity daily. It's just like how I live. And sometimes kids, people like my kids say, why are you asking so many questions, mom? But I just, that's just the nature of who I am. So what is one thing that you're particularly curious about? Oh, wow. There's so much that I, um, <laughs> so there's so much, there's so much that, um, that I'm, that I'm curious about, but right now, I mean, my passion is really what I'm curious is about is what is preventing people from seeing uncertainty as opportunity and how can I get inside that help them find their intrinsic motivation to be turned on by the obstacle rather than repelled uh, by it. And again, I am obsessed with uncertainty. I think it's fascinating that 
you would rather I sit here and tell you something bad is going to happen rather than tell you, I don't know what's going to happen. And so I'm very curious and, and obsessed with how do we get beyond that? Yeah, that's beautiful. Love it. Um, I always say though, and one other piece to that question is, do you think curiosity is a, um, a, a that it's innate or that it's a skill that you can learn? I think it's both. I think some people are just naturally more curious, um, you know, than, uh, than other people. Um, I think it's, I think it's a skill that you can learn. And I think that people are curious about, um, certain things. I mean, you know, sometimes I feel like I have to give my husband a dollar so he'll stop talking to people when we're on a hike. I'm just like, I want to get out of here and go get something to eat. And he's so interested in absolutely everybody. But, um, but, but, and, uh, and I'm not, I want to go out and go get a hamburger. But at the same time, you know, if you give me, uh, you know, if you tell me that there's, you know, 10 things I could do to live, to, to live healthy, healthy 10 years longer, I'd sit all day and research and be curious about learning that my husband's not interested. So I think we're different in what we're curious about, but I think you can train yourself to be curious about things that you think are important to be curious about. I definitely think it can be learned. All right. That's a great answer. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time, for your energy you. and for your expertise. Uh, I know my audience will have gained many nuggets from it. And um, I will put in the show notes, people can get hold of you, MeredithElliottPowell.com, correct? Yes. And also your book is on Amazon, correct? Yes. Yes. And it is, um, it's launching officially um, in June. You can go on and pre-order it uh, right now or just reach out to me on the website. We'll be happy to send you a free um, chapter download and um, you can take the Thrive Indicator quiz there as well. Awesome. Um, I'll be putting my name on that list. I All right. Great. All your stories and everything. I look forward to them. So thank you again. Thank you to my audience for listening. And uh, if you liked what you heard, please let us know, leave a review and go and visit Meredith's website and take her quiz about uncertainty. And uh, remember to stay connected and be remembered. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. If this show has inspired you to reach out to connect to someone new or nurture a current or past relationship, and you think that others can benefit from listening, please share out this episode. If you have feedback or questions about the episode, please leave a note in the comment sections below. If you would like to receive automatic updates of new podcast episodes, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or from the podcast app on your mobile device. Ratings and reviews from my listeners are extremely valuable to me and greatly appreciated. They help the podcast rank higher on iTunes, which exposes my show to more awesome listeners like you. So if you have a minute, please leave an honest review on iTunes. And remember to stay connected and be remembered.